Only the Big 12 Conference can give you the kind of drama we got in week 13, the final week of the college football regular season. I'm Pete Mundo. Heartland College Sports is where you find us covering the Big 12 Conference. Welcome in. Thank you for being here. As we get this week 13 reaction show going, do me a solid on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up button. It helps this show grow, which it has done each and every day over the last few months. We now have 5,000 subscribers on YouTube. I appreciate every single one of you. And if you haven't subscribed yet, hop on the channel. That way you never miss a show where we talk Big 12 from start to finish multiple times a week here on the show. I'm Pete Mundo. Welcome in. And only the Big 12, man. What a day, what a couple of days when you factor in Black Friday. Holy cow, we've got the Big 12 championship set up. It's Oklahoma State, it's Texas, and what a wild couple of days it has been. We're not going to preview any Big 12 title game stuff. We'll do that later. Let's talk about Week 13 and the games. And the chaos has to start. The conversation has to start with Oklahoma State and BYU. Oklahoma State is the most bipolar, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, whatever you want to say, team that I have seen in a very long time. They lose to South Alabama. They beat Oklahoma. They look like crap in the first half against BYU down 24-6. They score 21 unanswered. They miss an extra point in the final minute of regulation. So then BYU comes down, kicks a field goal to go to OT, and then the Cowboys win it in double overtime, 40-34. That is the most Mike Gundy, Oklahoma State way to end a season, to punch a ticket to the Big 12 title game that I can even think of in my mind. The last month for the Cowboys is as much of a roller coaster and a Mike Gundy classic Oklahoma State end to a crazy season that you can imagine. Win Bedlam, three games, win out against mediocre competition at best to go to a Big 12 title. You lose to UCF. Then you got to win against Houston, and you got to win against BYU. You're trailing Houston. You, you come back and win. You're down big time at home against BYU, who's 5-6 and six on the season and has stunk on the road this year, and you look like you're going to lay an egg down 24-6 at halftime. You can't get anything going. I don't know what happened at halftime. I don't know what Mike Gundy said. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that locker room in Stillwater, but it worked. But, of course, it can't be without drama, as it was for Oklahoma State. But they are going to a Big 12 championship game. And here's the thing. Here's my message to BYU fans. Do not take it personally that all eight original Big 12 fan bases were rooting against you. Please don't take it personally. You've got to understand the emotional roller coaster that core Big 12 fans, the hateful eight as they're dubbed, the Big 12 team, Sands, OU, and Texas that remain, you've got to understand the emotional roller coaster those eight fan bases have been through. And as a Big 12 guy, I will throw myself in this conversation. It wasn't personal. But the last thing anybody who was a fan of the hateful eight wanted to see was an OU-Texas Big 12 championship game 
to end their time in this league. It would have been, and this is no offense, but even OU and Texas fans can admit this, all right? This is not to knock OU and Texas fans, but let's be honest. You guys would have been unbearable, and you would have had a right to be unbearable because that's how fans are. Fans are unbearable, hence the word fanatic. Fan is short for it. And the original eight Big 12 teams that are left, the Iowa States, the K-States, the Baylors, the KUs, the West Virginias, the Texas Techs, they would have had to spend a week listening to OU and Texas fans and their fawning members in the media kiss their asses nonstop about how, oh, this is how it was meant to end. The two heavyweight blue bloods wrapping up their time in the Big 12 before they prance off to the SEC. In a chance to win the Big 12 championship, this was always how it was going to and supposed to end. Make me throw up. I will puke like a four-year-old I saw in the airport on Black Friday if I had to hear that for seven days. So I got a lot of BYU fans giving me a little bit of a hard time with how I was reacting on social media as the game was unfolding. But you have to understand it wasn't about you. It could have been UCF. It could have been Houston. It could have been Cincinnati in the same position. And the eight original or remaining original Big 12 fan bases would have all felt the same way. They didn't want OU and Texas in a rematch for a Big 12 title. They just didn't. So I'm happy for BYU in the sense that I think the program's getting better. I think they're going to be in a good spot. I would have loved for you guys to have been bowl eligible, but you know what? It wasn't meant to be. And Oklahoma State has a wild end to the season, to the regular season. They advance to the Big 12 championship, and they get a chance at Texas. And, you know, right now, gun to my head, do they win? No. But Mike Gundy against Texas, man, I, we'll get into that throughout the week. That's why you want to make sure you're subscribed to the channel. But Mike Gundy against Texas is, damn, he's good. He's good. And I will be um, sharing that, of course, with you throughout the week here on Heartland College Sports. I'm Pete Mundo. Welcome, and it's so good to be here with you as we dive into the final week of the regular season in the Big 12. And in that game, shout-out to Ali Gordon. Five touchdowns, a buck 64. What a game. He gets stronger as that game goes along. Now, the other game, of course, that mattered when it came to the Big 12 championship, Texas stomping on Texas Tech 57-7. You know, normally... When you have a team like Texas Tech playing Texas, it's the Red Raiders who are juiced for the game. It's the Red Raiders who are playing the little brother role, who want to upset big brother. It wasn't that way going into this game. Brett Yormark had really fired up the Texas Longhorns with his offseason comments he made in Lubbock. Once we knew this was the final game of the regular season for both these teams, Yormark made those comments in Lubbock about, you know, basically saying, get the job done to Joy McGuire, implying he's pulling for them to beat Texas. Well, Texas took that personally. Texas didn't forget that for four months. In fact, we found out after the game that Texas was playing that clip of Brett Yormark on loop in the gym while the guys were working out all week. They wanted to stomp on the Red Raiders. And it's why I gave you the pick 
of Texas minus the points. Now, it wasn't one of my locks, my bad bets, or my underdogs, but I did say that I thought Texas would cover. Because first off, I don't think Texas is all that good. I think Texas is really good. And I thought the motivation went out the window. The motivation was a wash because Texas was first off playing for playoff contention and then two did not forget what Brett Yormark had to say in the offseason. I just didn't realize how much it was in the heads of the Longhorns what Brett Yormark had to say. And then I saw DKR after the game, they were playing Brett Yormark's clip in the stadium where Brett Yormark was. This was personal for Texas. They were the better team. They stuck it to Joey McGuire and the Red Raiders, and it was never all that close outside of the first quarter. I mean, you take out the first quarter, and Texas outscored Texas Tech 47-0. Think about that. 47-zip. Texas Tech was shut out after the first quarter. That's unbelievable. And Tech just had too many mistakes. You know, they had opportunities for interceptions in this game, and they dropped them. There were a couple of those against Quinn Ewers who didn't play great. I mean, leave the box score out of it. He didn't play great. But if you're Texas Tech, uh, you know, you look at this game and you say to yourself, we had missed opportunities. We had three turnovers. We're not going to beat Texas if we don't take advantage of those opportunities and we don't play a perfect game. And not only did they not take advantage, they got blown out of the water. It was not close. So Texas punched that ticket to the Big 12 championship game on Friday night. Um, Credit to them. Listen, if you're a Texas fan, you guys are damn good. We always knew that potential was there. It was just putting it together. And Steve Sarkeesian in year three has proven to be a guy that can get this team SEC ready and is going to be in a great spot to not just win the Big 12, but, you know, should be able to get himself into a college football playoff, I believe, if they win this game on Saturday against Oklahoma State. Now, it's weird because there was an argument to be made for Texas to play Oklahoma and then Texas wanting to play OU to beat OU again and get a better win than, say, Oklahoma State might end up being. That, and I understand the argument, but I think if you're Texas, you're 12-1, and one, you got to win over Alabama and your only loss is to Oklahoma? I know we got to see what happens around the rest of the country, but damn, how is that not a playoff resume? I don't see how you can leave them out at that point, but we'll have to wait and have that conversation depending on how, you know, the next week or so plays out. But it was a uh, dominant win. And, you know, let's factor this in too. I don't know how the next week is going to play out, but let's say Oregon upsets Washington. Oregon barely beat Texas Tech. Texas stomped them. Uh, by 50 points. That should play a role if that scenario comes to be. But we'll wait for that next week. We'll have the conversation as we get there. Uh, Meantime, OU, let's just dive into some of the other games here real quick. OU did beat uh, TCU in a classic Big 12 track meet, 69 to a 45 in a game that, you know what? OU ends its Big 12 tenure in Norman. It had to end that way, right? It had to end with 100-plus points being scored. It felt right in many ways. It just did. Meantime, for OU, they're going to be at a very good bowl game. They're not going to be playing for a Big 12 title. They would have had Oklahoma State lost. 
And that's got to just burn OU fans, right? You're watching Oklahoma State play BYU because if Oklahoma State loses, you guys get to a Big 12 title game. So you got to watch four quarters and two overtimes of Cowboys football and then still have your hearts broken. I feel for you, OU fans. I, I do. Cheers. Uh, it's snowing here in Kansas City, so I've got a um, – uh, Sam Adams Holiday White Ale is where we're at right now. So let me uh, take a quick – hang on. Oh, man. Oh, that goes down good. So for OU fans, you're sitting there right now, and you're thinking about what the future holds for, for you. You're going to get to a good bowl game. Are you SEC ready? I don't think OU is as SEC ready as Texas is right now. We also found out tonight that Jeff Levy is likely headed to Mississippi State for the head coaching job there. So that news came down here uh, just before we hopped on for our live show on YouTube. By the way, thumbs up if you could. Subscribe to the channel. If you haven't yet, we are uh, topping the 5,000 subscriber mark of this show. Hundreds of you are joining us and subscribing each and every month. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for continuing to grow this show at Heartland College Sports, where we cover the Big 12 Conference each and every day. And join our free message boards as well. We've got a lot of great OU fans on there. Go to the website and click Members Forums at the top of the page. But Jeff Levy going to Mississippi State. Listen, OU fans, a lot of you I know, you would drive Jeff Levy to Mississippi State. You, you'd, you'd put him in the backseat of your car to go to Starkville yourself. You'd pay for the gas. But be careful what you wish for. This was the best offense in the Big 12 this year. Total yards, points per game. And it wasn't even all that close. I think there's a standard at Oklahoma that I understand. I really do. And Jeff Levy didn't call great games against Kansas in particular. That was his worst game. Oklahoma State was better. I don't think the Oklahoma State loss was his fault at all. But I understand why you're mad about the Kansas game. And, you know, some of you are still upset about the Art Bryles thing, which was way overblown. But you had a really good offense, and you've been spoiled with Lincoln Riley into Jeff Lebby, especially this season with how it's gone. Just, just appreciate what you got. Every offensive mind at OU. Now, OU should have great offensive minds. They got the money to pay for it. They got the legacy. They got the players. But... It's not as easy as Lincoln Riley made it look, and it's not even as easy as Jeff Levy made it look most of this season. And now you're going to the SEC. So, you know, do I think OU's in a good place going to the SEC? I do. Do I think they're in a great place? No. Do I think they're walking in and winning the SEC next year? Absolutely not. But uh, I do think they'll be competitive. I think the thought that OU's going to go to being a bottom feeder is ridiculous. But I still think they've got uh, to improve some of those position groups, improve the interior on both of those lines uh, to be SEC ready. That's, that's a big part of it. And for TCU, I, I mean, if it wasn't for Baylor, we'd be talking about TCU as the biggest disappointment in the Big 12. TCU goes from a national championship game to not even being bowl eligible. TCU frankly can be blamed for all the hype around Colorado can we like bl and, and I'm glad Colorado's coming to the big 12 
but we can blame TCU for all the BS we all have to put up with the first month of the season around Dion and Colorado. And, and they weren't even all that good. But of course, TCU is overhyped going into the season because college football pollsters are dumb and they just look at last season when they do preseason rankings. And that's generally speaking very stupid because there's a lot of turnover on these teams, especially in the era of the transfer portal. So Colorado comes to Fort Worth and upsets TCU. Now, TCU was a 21-point favorite in that game. And then the hype train was off and running for Colorado. And then they beat another bad team in Nebraska. Oh, my goodness. Colorado was going to win 10 games. They went 4-8. and eight. They lost their, what, last six games in a row? In fairly embarrassing fashion? Goodness. So not only did TCU embarrass themselves this year, they, they screwed the whole thing the whole first month of the season. They screwed up for college football fans because all we heard about was Dion this, Dion that, Colorado this, Colorado that. So I'm blaming you, TCU. I'm blaming you guys for that. Sheesh. Come on now, would you please? But in all seriousness, um, the shine has worn off a bit for Sonny Dykes. That is indisputable. Yes, you got to a national title game. Incredible. Now you got destroyed in the game itself, but you got there. That's impressive. But you come back, you follow it up with a 5-7 and seven season in a new-look Big 12 that had new teams, not around Robin, and had some really bad teams at the bottom of it? Gosh, that is not good. So TCU may have to go hunting for a quarterback in the transfer portal. We'll see what they think of Josh Hoover. I don't think you can go into the next season and just plan on Josh Hoover being your guy. But if it was not for Baylor being as bad as they were this year, TCU would be the biggest disappointment in the Big 12 this year, bar none. Now, the other games, let's go to some of the other games on Saturday. All right, let's get the Farmageddon. Can we talk Farmageddon here? Snowball Farmageddon. Raise your hand if you had over 80 points, well, not quite, but nearly 80 points getting scored in Farmageddon with six inches of snow on the ground on Saturday. Raise your hand if that was you. No, I, nope. Nope, you're lying. I know you're lying. We all thought it was going to be like last year, 10 to 9. Instead, we get 42-35, a track meet with Iowa State winning Farmageddon this year. And I, I listen, I know it's hard to tackle when there's three to five, six inches of snow on the ground, but my goodness, Kansas State couldn't tackle to save its life on Saturday night. I, it's not taking anything away from Iowa State, but holy cow, that was a pathetic performance from the Wildcats in that game on defense. First off, the go-ahead touchdown for Iowa State, if you haven't seen it, Jalen Noel catches the ball on the right sideline, and he's got three to four Wildcats surrounding him. He's along the sideline, and he somehow scampers up the sideline for a touchdown. I took a screenshot of it. It's up on our Twitter page, X page, whatever we call it now, at Heartland underscore CS. You can see it there for yourself. But, man, you literally will look at that screenshot and wonder how the heck Jalen Noel scored a touchdown on that play and got by four Kansas State defenders and the sideline, which is right next to him. It makes no sense on how that guy scored a touchdown on that play. But amazingly, he did. And Abu Sama had himself a game. 16 carries, 200 
and 76 yards. It's unbelievable. I, you, you just can't imagine that kind of game, that kind of performance happening for Abu Sama. What a game. Holy cow, that was unbelievable. So all in all, you look at this and you say to yourself, that is Farmageddon in a nutshell. It's incredible how that happened. And Iowa State gets a 42-35 to win over Kansas State. <laughs> Just crazy stuff. <laughs> oh, gosh. We appreciate you guys being here. Thanks for joining us on the show. I'm Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> oh, did I lose the video? Are you guys telling me I lost the video here? All right, well, I'm going to have to figure out how to get that video back. I don't know what happened. My, did my camera die on me here? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you there on YouTube. But I know the podcasters are still tuned in, and you can just keep listening to us like a, uh, like a podcast. How about that? How's that sound? There we go. Let's start this camera back up again, baby. Let's do it. There we are. We're back. All right. This is not going to let me down. Not on the Week 13 reaction show. You hung with us for the 10 seconds we lost the video. We're back. We're at it. Let's go. Hold on. Let me cheers to that. Cyclones. That's right. Good win for you guys. Stay safe if you're traveling on the roads, by the way, coming out of that game. It's a mess. It is a mess. But, um, you know, Kansas State goes 8-4. and four. And all in all, you got to say that's a disappointment based on how you thought the season was going to go. But if you're Iowa State, listen, you come out of this game if you're Iowa State and you look at this team and you say to yourself, Iowa State went 7-5. and five. Iowa State lost a game to Ohio. It should have never lost. And the reason they lost that game is because they had a bunch of guys who had food poisoning in that game. So cross that game off. That is a total fluke. Matt Campbell, with a lot of underclassmen, playing very key positions, like Rocco Beck, the quarterback, like Abu Sama at running back. These guys are going to be back. Iowa State, I'm calling it right now, is a dark horse in the Big 12 in 2024. Not enough people are going to be talking about it. We're going to be talking about at the top of the league, you know, Utah, Arizona, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Kansas. We're not going to talk enough about Iowa State as a legitimate threat to win the league next year, and it is going to be wide open. And the second half of this season, you can point to as when you started to see that possibility happen for the Cyclones. It is real. Matt Campbell is rebuilding that thing. And how weak is it, by the way, a couple of the running backs decided they weren't going to make the trip for the Cyclones because they're going to be hitting the transfer portal. How convenient. And you know what? If I saw Abu Sama play the way he did on Saturday night, I'd be hitting the portal too if I was Eli Sanders or Cartavius Norton. I'd say, screw this. I'm going somewhere else where it's a little bit easier. I don't want to be the guy playing behind Abu Sama who has shown flashes of being the next David Montgomery or Brees Hall for this program. He can be that guy. But you are starting to see Iowa State 
develop itself and rebuild that program. And that's always what Iowa State's going to be. Even in the best case scenario, they are going to be a team that has to rebuild. Matt Campbell's got to get his guys. He's got to keep them. That's hard in the transfer portal NIL world. He's got to figure out how to keep them, of course, but develop them. And look at their losses this year. Iowa by a touchdown. Ohio, as I noted, by a field goal. Shouldn't have lost that game. The Oklahoma loss was bad by 30. The Kansas lost by a touchdown. Texas lost by 10 points. Uh, They're playing close games outside of the Oklahoma blowout. And by the way, the second half of the season was much more impressive. They got better as the season went on. If they were to play Oklahoma right now, Iowa State, they would not lose by 30 points. They got better every single week. And uh, they're going to be a team to reckon with next season, no doubt about that. Meantime, the other games we'll dive into here on the show at Heartland College Sports. Uh, Let's touch on... All right, let's do West Virginia Baylor. West Virginia beats Baylor 34-31. In as bizarre a game as you're going to see, it was just classic Big 12. West Virginia is a big favorite in this game. Baylor's 3-8 going into the game. They have no business uh, playing West Virginia close. But, uh, you know, in just classic, bizarre fashion, what happens? Baylor gets a couple of crazy touchdowns in this game, especially in the first half. You're like, what? what is going on? How is, what is happening here? Right? You're watching this thing unfold and you're like kick returns for touchdowns. It's like, what, what is going on with this team? West Virginia was the far better team all night, but then Baylor uses two Richard Reese returns for touchdowns in the first half that keeps them in the game. It was their only scoring in the first half. I mean, heck, West Virginia could have been up 27-0 at halftime if not for two Richard Reese touchdown returns. Instead, they're up 27-14, and then Baylor's offense wakes up. They put together two drives of 77 and 51 yards. They take a 28-27 lead going into the fourth quarter. They're up 31-27 late, and then finally, West Virginia scores its only points of the second half on their final drive, ending with a Garrett Green touchdown to Jaheim White. So Big 12, so West Virginia, so Neil Brown, and so Baylor. Everything checks off for the Big 12, for Neil Brown, for West Virginia, and for Baylor. West Virginia fans wanted to fire Neil Brown for most of the second half. Instead, he wins. He finishes 8-4. and four. He's coming back next year. He's got some good pieces, like it or not. I'm not convinced he's the guy long-term. I'm not convinced he's ever playing for any Big 12 titles, but you're not going to fire the guy after going 8-4 and four when he was picked to finish last in the league. It's not going to happen. And then for Dave Aranda and Baylor, you're like, wow, we might actually end this season on a high note. Dave Aranda might save his job. Instead, they blow it late. And it's just classic Big 12 as well. There's penalties, there's kick returns that keep Baylor in the game early. It's all over the map. Special teams fiascos. It was quintessential Big 12 between these two teams. And for a moment, when it looked like Baylor was going to win, I'm like, gosh, Neil Brown is going to throw all the goodwill from from this season out the window with the loss to Baylor to wrap up the regular season and be seven and five versus eight and four, which is a big difference. And 
Dave Aranda is going to save his job and go four and eight because he beat West Virginia to end the season as a double-digit underdog. Instead, flip the script. Neil Brown's eight and four. Dave Aranda is not. He's three and nine, and he's answering questions about whether or not he should keep his job after the game. I mean, so much changed over those last few minutes. And by the way, apparently we're going to know in the next day or two whether or not Aranda is safe. There were some rumblings from Bruce Feldman that Dave Aranda is a hot seat to watch in the next couple of days. And frankly, I don't blame Baylor for at least investigating and looking into you know what the options are here because this has been a colossal fall from grace for a guy who won the Big 12 two years ago and was ranked in the top five. I mean, it's horrible. What, 11 and 2, 6 and 7, now 3 and 9? 3 and 9 this year when you've got some of the bottom feeders in the Big 12, the new faces to play? Like, this was a year for if you're one of the classic original Big 12 teams, this was a year to inflate your record because you were at least playing a couple of new Big 12 schools who we knew were not going to be quite ready for the league. And we're going to be at least caught off guard by the week-in, week-out grind. Referring to UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. That's not to knock them. It was just a natural thing that was going to happen. And every Big 12 school should have been able to take advantage with an extra win or maybe two. And instead, Baylor said, hold my beer. Literally, hold my beer. And uh, we're going to blow these games instead on our own. And that's what Baylor did. It was a bad start to finish. Just a terrible season for the Bears. And do I think Dave Aranda's going to come back? I do. But man, that seat is going to be real toasty starting next season. And frankly, it should be. It should be. But I don't think Baylor wants to blow him out right now. I think they want to give him a chance. Listen, he's a great man. He has won big here. And I think they will give him another season. But um it's not going to be a long leash. That's my guess as of right now. Two other games we got to talk about here. Kansas steamrolling Cincinnati 49-16. to Kansas averaged nearly 15 yards per pass and 9 yards per rush in this game. I mean, it was unbelievable. Cincinnati's defense actually was pretty good throughout the season, but they were just horrible. Absolutely horrible on Saturday night in front of their home crowd against the Jayhawks. And Jason Bean, my goodness, dude was throwing dimes. He was 10 for 10 in the first half after missing the last game and a half with the injury. Um, the, the touchdown pass to Jared Casey was a beautiful, beautiful throw. I, you know, Jason Bean made me say, Jalen who? That's how good he was throwing the ball, especially in that first half. So, Kansas was clicking on all cylinders offensively, um, and I don't want to give the Kansas defense too much credit because the Cincinnati offense is horrible. And Cincinnati, Scott Satterfield made an enormous mistake in the second half of the season. He made an enormous mistake by continuing to play Emory Jones at quarterback because he was trying to get more wins this year to buy himself a little bit of time. And you know, he should have just let us take a look at Brady Lichtenberg and see exactly what we've got in that kid. Instead, he's like, well, Emory Jones gives me the best chance to win. And I can respect that. But, dude, you weren't winning these games. That was pretty obvious. 
you, you are not Big 12 ready there at Cincinnati. And you came close a couple of times, Baylor and UCF, but the rest of these games you were not winning. This should have been a second half of the season to figure out what you've got in Brady Lichtenberg. Instead, you went with a guy in Emory Jones who you can't bring back next year, who's done playing college football for what? To lose by 30 instead of 35? What's the point in that? It just reeks of a guy who's not confident that he's got a long leash there at Cincinnati. And maybe he doesn't. I, you know, it's kind of a weird hire, Scott Satterfield, but you take it and you run with it, I suppose. You see what he can do over time. But um, that's a mistake, and it's one that could cost Cincinnati come next year when they're trying to figure out who they've got and what they've got at quarterback. So uh, Kansas ends up with eight wins, first time they've gotten to eight wins since 2008. Credit to um, Lance Leipold and what he is doing there. Unbelievable stuff that he continues to achieve uh, with the Jayhawks. And now you look at next year, and Kansas is going to be a top 3-4 team, I think, in the Big 12 next season. It's, it's really amazing uh, what Lance Leipold is doing in, in three short years on the job. So impressive victory there to wrap up the regular season. And then last but not least, UCF beats Houston 27-13. to a 13. And, and really, the storyline, yes, R.J. Harvey was great. 136 yards, uh, two second-half touchdowns, eighth straight season of bowl eligibility uh, for the Knights. And UCF does get to that 6-6 six and six mark. They will get to a bowl game, so credit to them. That's a good victory. They needed that. You always love having those extra weeks of practice. But you have two programs who joined the Big 12 this year under two established coaches who have won at the Power 5 level, Gus Malzahn at Auburn and Dana Holgerson at Houston. And if you were to buy stock, or look at these two programs as stock in the Big 12, UCF is going up, Houston is going down. Dana Holgerson had as bad of a first season going 4-8 and eight overall and 2-7 and seven in this league as anybody could have imagined. And by the way, he got a Hail Mary against West Virginia. I'm not saying you take it off the board. I'm just saying he needed a Hail Mary to get to 4-8 and eight and 1-2-7 and two and seven in the league. That's how bad of a season it was for the Houston Cougars. And the whole point of hiring Dana Holgerson is, well, he's got Power 5 experience. He's won at West Virginia. He knows the Big 12. He's the perfect guy to transition us. Listen, Houston has now gotten progressively worse the last three years. They had a really good 2021 season when they won the AAC. But they have trended downward ever since, and Houston's known for the last couple of years they were starting Big 12 play. This is not like a surprise that Houston's playing Big 12 football. Houston's been able to recruit for the Big 12 for the last two years, just like Gus Malzahn has been doing. And Gus Malzahn has been kicking butt on the recruiting trail. Dana Holgerson has not been. And the whole point of having him there was he knew Texas— he knows that part of the world. He can recruit that part of the world, especially when they get the big Big 12 invite, which ultimately happened a couple of years ago. And now he gets it. They're in the Big 12, and he falls flat on his face. It's not that I thought he'd go 10-2, and two, but 
no one in Houston should think that 4-8 and eight is the standard. And by the way, the fan base is not showing up. I know this game was on the road. I'm just speaking generally here for Houston. That fan base is so disengaged with the football team right now. And maybe it's all about basketball there, but the whole point of having Dana is to rebuild and build up a football program. Houston used to be a stepping stone job, right? Guys like Tom Herman, you come there, you win, you go to the big power five job. Now it's in the Big 12. It should be a desirable job based on location and the fact that they've got big boosters who will invest. And instead they go four and eight. So I don't think Dana's going anywhere right now. I'd be shocked. But I'll tell you what, if I was Tillman Fertitta, if I was some of these guys at Houston, I wouldn't be feeling good about things right now with the football program. And, and Dana is the king of making excuses. He was at West Virginia, and that will continue at Houston. At some point, got to be held accountable, and someone's got to be responsible, and it's got to start with the guy at the top who supposedly knew the league, knows the state, knows the recruiting scene, and completely flopped in year one. It's, it's indisputable. I'm Pete Mundo. We are Heartland College Sports. It is going to be an incredible week for this conference, getting set for Texas and Oklahoma State. Please make sure you're on the show. You are subscribed to us on YouTube. You hit that thumbs up right now on the video. If you haven't yet, drop us a comment. Um, I like to respond to those. And if you're on the podcast, hey, leave a five-star rating and review. And if you want that five-star rating and review, or if you leave it and you want a free Heartland College Sports koozie, I'll hook you up with that. Leave me that rating and review and send me a screenshot to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. We've got so many great episodes coming up this week. We'll talk to you throughout the week and get you set for the Big 12 championship game. In the meantime, check us out at heartlandcollegesports.com, covering the Big 12. Join our free members forums. We'll be talking to you there. All right? Can't wait to talk about it more throughout the week. And... Um, Take care, guys. Talk to you soon.